You are now listening to Music Legends with your host, Chili Willie. What's up, everybody? Chili Willie here, a.k.a. The Dolly Drama. Just wanted to let you know that you're pretty cool. I also happen to think the word cool itself is cool. I think jazz is cool. Now, hold on, hold on. Don't write me off as a complete weirdo just yet. Let me just ask you something first. What exactly does cool mean? Have you ever really thought about it? Cool has become such a commonly used word. We just say it and hear it so many times every day. We've become somewhat numb to the word. Most of the time, we don't even think about it. We just say it. Cool has been around for a long time. And many words like hip, rad, dope, and my personal favorite, lit, they have all come to try and take cool's place. But they have all failed. Because cool doesn't die. When we step back and actually think about what it means to be cool, feelings of confidence and style immediately come to mind. Specifically, a style that people gravitate towards and want to emulate. A style so powerful that it never really goes out of style, only evolves and changes over time. In the 1940s, the word cool started becoming more popular thanks to the smoke-filled nightclubs where jazz thrived. The only way to get that smoke out of the club was to open a window and let the cool night air in. Jazz is directly responsible for popularizing cool. A word that we take for granted now. A word so cool that it can be used in almost any social situation because it's just too cool for social situations. It's sad. Jazz helped define cool, yet some folks, unfortunately, don't see how jazz could ever be cool. That is just making me feel physically sick. What is that gloomy racket? That's the human league. That is electro-nonsense. They're electro-pioneers. They invented music. Invented music? Yeah. What happened before then, then? It was just tuning up before then. Are you aware of the music known as jazz? Oh. Are you aware of jazz music, the movement of jazz? Why do you keep going on about jazz for? Because it's the most important art form in the 20th century. No one listens to jazz. Science teachers and the mentally ill, that's all jazz is for. You better take that back, you electro-ponce. Or what? You better just take it back, so. I won't be taking that back. I'll be leaving it out there for all to see. Drink it back up. No, I hate jazz. You hate jazz? Yeah. You fear jazz. Huh? Ah, Shut yeah. your mouth. Yeah, you fear jazz, don't no, you? No, I don't. You fear the lack of rules. No. The lack of boundaries. Ooh, it's a fence. No, it's soft. Ah! What's happening? The shapes, the chaos. Huh? It has to be simple nursery Stop rhymes it. for you, doesn't it? Stop the evil. Simple little dee 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 dee. Shut your mouth. The melody Howard. gets abstract. You mess your trousers and run to your mummy. Shut your mouth. Huh? Deep up. Don't start scatting. We don't need scat at this point. You better stop scatting. This is your final warning. Okay, I'll admit it. He's right about one thing. We don't need scatting. But, but we need jazz. No matter what side of the totem you fall on, no matter what your opinion is about jazz, I'd like to help you discover jazz and all the beauty it has to offer through the story of a single character and a character who helped define both jazz and cool. On today's episode of Music Legends, I want to get right down to the bottom of it. Cool goes hand-in-hand with jazz, and Miles Davis goes hand-in-hand with cool. 
<laughs> I mean, when you look up the word cool on Wikipedia, a pic of Miles Davis pops up saying, quote, George Eliot Clark writes that Malcolm X, like Miles Davis, embodies essential elements of cool. Miles Davis may just be one of the coolest people to have ever lived. He was stylish, moody, magnetic, dapper, difficult, unpredictable, and proud of it all. Determined to express himself, Miles innovated and created a sound that warms your ear with a blanket of cool. He did it for five decades, and his sound and style is still far ahead of the cool road he's built. But just how many miles ahead of the game was Miles Davis? Well, we're about to find out. So many people pass their knowledge and passion for a musical instrument down to their children, but few actually stick with it. Miles Davis was on both ends of the spectrum. His mother, Cleota May, was a music teacher and classical piano and violinist. So needless to say, by the time Miles was four years old, she was already instilling her musical knowledge deep within him. Kids rebel from their parents, that's just how it goes. And since Miles' mother played violin, he decided he wanted nothing to do with it, thus beginning a war between his rebellious nature and his mother's classical training. She was insanely adamant about her son learning quote-unquote serious music, or classical music, because she believed that there was a strong classical presence throughout her household, then the Davis family would escape their history socially and financially. This gave Miles a sense of seriousness and importance about music, yet ironically, this made Miles want to pursue a different style even more. Something with a little bit more style. Miles began investigating all kinds of music. And using the basic techniques his mother had been teaching him, he started not only practicing these styles, but finally playing. It took so many different tools and materials to build the structure of Miles' musical upbringing, but ultimately, it was up to him to build it. His mother gave him the tools to build, but was constantly pushing him in a direction that he wasn't really interested in. His father, on the other hand, was full of support for his musical abilities and ambitions. His father was the one who already had the blueprint and was just waiting and watching how Miles would build it. Miles' mother and father were just on two different levels, had two different perspectives. In other words, it just wasn't working out between them. Miles' father turned out to be quite a spiteful fellow, and after he'd been given an old trumpet from a friend, he saw an opportunity. An opportunity to hit two birds with one stone. He could intentionally go against his wife's wishes, yet create the perfect environment for Miles to build on his own terms. For him, it was a win-win situation, so he gifted the trumpet to Miles. However, since his wife refused to teach him how to play it, Miles was stuck in a whole lot of inspiration, but no direction. 
Miles' father was a dental surgeon. He would work long hours, six or seven days a week. It was an average day for him as he looked out of his window. He had a swanky kind of office. The day floated along for Miles' father with patience at every hour. He made a habit of scribbling his patient's notes between each appointment. A smile rose on his cheeks when he saw a particular name on his schedule, Elwood Buchanan. He happened to be a good friend and was particularly excited to see him. Open wide, said Miles' father while gazing into an open mouth. Oh, you look good, Elwood, he said with a half smile, knowing his longtime patient would feel comfortable to know that he didn't need oral surgery. So he was surprised to see a look of fear and desperation that was trembling on Elwood's face. He wasn't worried about the surgery, but the cost of that appointment. The Great Depression was coming to a close, but Elwood couldn't pay for his appointment. He was a trumpet player and music teacher but was down to his last dime. Brother, can you spare a dime? Once I built a tower Up to the sun Brick and rivet and lime Once I built a tower Miles' father sought the perfect solution. It's like it fell right into his lap. From now on, all of Elwood's dental appointments would be absolutely free, except for one stipulation. Elwood Buchanan would now have to be in charge of tutoring his dentist's son, Miles, in the art of trumpet. And so Elwood Buchanan was pleased with this deal. In fact, he was probably getting a steal. So the two shook hands, and he walked out of that dental office, excited for the future, not having to get dental surgery. Miles began using his ever-growing knowledge of music for an instrument that he was actually interested in playing. What a difference that made, too. However, it wasn't easy. Sure, to be good at an instrument, you have to practice for hundreds of hours. But each private lesson with Elwood wasn't just practicing. Sweat was rushing down Miles' neck fast, like a rushing river of pure hard work. It was hot in St. Louis in August, and Miles was blowing his horn like his life depended on it. He had heard the sound of his trumpet so much that summer that he had truly become in tune with it. He didn't even notice what or how he was playing anymore. His apprehension grew louder as his notes got softer. From the footsteps of his tutor, who was pacing back and forth in front of him, his mind could only think about what was coming next. No! Stop shaking that note. You're gonna shake enough when you get old, his tutor shouted. Buchanan was rough on his students, to say the least. He insisted them to play without vibrato. 
Okay, let's just take a pause for a sec. Just for those who don't know, I'll try and explain it. Okay, here goes nothing. Vibrato is a kind of pulsating change of pitch on a note or chord. I'm sure you've heard it. Here's a trumpet with vibrato. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, here's a trumpet without vibrato. Notice the difference? The second one is much flatter. Now, just as Elwood Buchanan couldn't stand the sound of vibrato, just about every popular musician at the time shook their notes. I mean, Louis Armstrong was the biggest trumpeter in the world, and he shook his notes. Miles looked at his tutor with eyes that said a million words, but none of them very family-friendly. Yet he licked his lips, straightened his back, and pressed his mouth against his horn. Now play a tune for me, and don't be shaking those notes. Although, what came out of Miles' horn wasn't to Buchanan's liking at all. Buchanan slapped the horn out of Miles' mouth. He was absolutely infuriated, and with a ruler held tightly in the hand of Miles Tudor turned torturer, he punished young Miles with five swift smacks on the knuckles. Now this time, play it cool, warned Buchanan. Who knows if Miles did it just to piss him off. Regardless, after a few years of Buchanan's strict lessons, a certain style was cemented in his mind. Miles was quickly developing a completely unique aesthetic to his playing. He knew he had something special to give. Miles also knew that most people wouldn't listen, just because of the color of his skin. He started noticing this when he began performing in his high school musical competitions. He was obviously the best competitor, but it was rigged. He would lose every single time to one of his white competitors. Quote, it made me so mad. I made up my mind to outdo anybody white on the horn. If I hadn't met that prejudice, I probably wouldn't have had as much drive in my work." Unquote. Miles now not only knew he had something special in his musicianship, but he had something to prove to the world. Now, at this point, Miles was in his high school marching band and went downtown to St. Louis and played all the small clubs on the weekend. Jazz was blowing up all over the nation, and Miles was feeling a little bit of small-town fever. His sister had already gone off to college in Nashville at Fisk University, and that's where his mom wanted him to go as well. But Miles had other plans. New York was where all the real action was when it came to jazz. Miles' mom still believed jazz wouldn't be a viable career path for him. 
But all of that changed when Miles offered to pay for his sister's entire college education, just with his share of the earnings he made, playing around with various bands in St. Louis. Although he already proved his parents that he could make some serious money, neither of his parents were just gonna let him go without finishing high school. Miles, on the other hand, wasn't gonna let school hold him back. He was ready to move on. In fact, he already did move on, at least mentally. I fall in love too easily. I fall in love too fast. I fall in love too terribly hard. Now, if there were one thing that Miles Davis loved more than music, it was women. And he loved the ladies enough to stay in school for another year. In fact, he was becoming quite the talk of the school. We had a friend introduce us. And I said, the, the uh, friend said, he's a basketball star. He said, Irene, you know who want to meet you? I said, no. Who? He said, little Doc Davis. They called Miles little Doc Davis. And I said, who is that? And he said, you know, little Doc Davis. So anyway, I said, okay, I have, I think it was typing class after lunch. I said, bring him up, tell him to come up to the door and he can bring me a, a snicker bar. I was just typing away and then I heard somebody say, shh, shh. And it was Miles at the door of the classroom and he had the candy bar. And then from then on, we started dating, going to theater, to movies together, and getting interested in what, what we're going to do for the future, you know? Just our ideas were all the same. We were just a pair. It was nice, you know, to meet somebody who had the same ideas that you have, and uh, a progressive mind, and uh, it was beautiful. They started dating, and a few months later, they already had a family on the way. Life was good for Miles. Now, it was a hot, steamy, and humid Saturday evening in St. Louis. The darkness couldn't come quick enough to cool the place down. However, the lights of town stayed on all night. And Miles and his girlfriend, they had a night out on the town. At this particular moment, he was happy. Tonight, Miles wasn't in the club to play trumpet. He was there to listen. As the band started up, his lady grabbed his hand. Come on, she said, dance with me. No, I'm staying right here. Miles stood his ground and watched the band with impeccable intent. Miles wasn't much of a dancer. Irene knew that much, but she wanted to change it, get him to let loose a little. She had this enchanting way about it. Miles continued standing there, taking in everything around him, but his eyes locked in on the band. All the other noises just became numb to his ears. And his ears became locked to the music as well. Miles. 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 He finally snapped out of it. Look at me, said Irene. He could almost see the light bulb above her head and her face lit up with a bright idea. You want to be up on that stage more than anything else, don't you? Miles said nothing, but his immaculate poker face turned into a half smile. 
Irene's seen that same face a thousand times. She knew what it meant. You're too chicken to dance. Miles' poker face stayed stagnant as Irene threw out a completely wild idea. I dare you to phone up Eddie Randall and ask for a job in his orchestra. Now, Eddie Randall's orchestra was also known as the Blue Devils, which was a fairly big orchestra. And by big, I mean popular. So Miles, with both fear of being chicken and hope for a brighter future, did just that. The next day, he called the musical director. It worked. idea in the middle of that nightclub on that dark but somewhat bright Saturday night in St. Louis would end up putting him on a fast track to success. Joining the band was a breakthrough for Miles, but the job also tested him. For the first time, Miles was in a room full of musicians better than him. These players had been classically trained in the most classic of ways. They could read music better than cursive. They'd been around the block a few times, which is what made them the perfect crowd for Miles to be surrounding himself with and to be challenged by. Um, I wanted to do one more thing. I want to tune up one more time. Can we do it in the same way? Strings uh, tune up to the piano. An A, please. And maybe One day during rehearsal, a drummer asked him to play a certain passage of music. Miles looked at the sheet of paper, the lines, the symbols punching him in the face. Miles swallowed his pride and slowly brought his trumpet to his mouth. One, this is letter A the second time. One, two, three, four. Miles couldn't read music. Every single note on that paper was a complete mystery. But just as the cold metal mouthpiece struck his lips, he felt a zing of energy rip through his body. So he began playing his interpretations of how each note on that piece of paper looked to him. Each mysterious shape and its relationships to every other shape on that piece of paper. He was conveying, confidently, exactly what everything on that paper sounded like to him. It was a kind of improvisation of sorts. The drummer began to stare, and for that matter, so did the entire room. For a few moments, it was hard to tell whether they were utterly impressed or utterly amused. But then, the drummer couldn't help himself anymore. He broke out into an uncontrollable laughter, and for that matter, so did the entire room. What just seconds ago seemed like a brilliant idea became an apparent joke among his peers. So Miles took the trumpet away from his mouth and walked out. And where did Miles go on that day? Well, years later, he stated, quote, I went to get everything, every book I could learn about music theory, I got. Thank you.
said that was one of the most important jobs of his career. However, his job as a boyfriend to his then-pregnant girlfriend was falling behind, along with every other aspect of his life. His relationship with his mother was tarnished because she didn't like his girlfriend. And Miles' relationship with his mother had been turning sour for a long time anyway. Miles didn't quite treat his personal relationships like he treated his relationship with music. He was dedicating 100% of his time to music, and it paid off. I mean, it was only a couple months until he became the new director of the Blue Devils, taking over the job of the man he had just called to ask for a job a few months earlier. So with his new job, he was connecting with even more musicians, all of whom were thoroughly impressed. The ones who laughed just weeks before were afraid to admit it, but they were still impressed. Some of them weren't afraid to admit it. Sonny Stitt was among those musicians. Sonny was an older gentleman who dressed well and played better. His nickname was the Lone Wolf because of his touring and devotion to jazz. Whoa, Sonny tried to persuade Miles to join the Tiny Bradshaw band on tour. They were a fairly well-known band at this point, and would later prove to be important in the early development of rock and roll. Now, that's definitely not the rock and roll we know and love today, but it was immensely new for its time. So of course, Miles wanted in on that, but his mother again came to rain on his parade. She wouldn't let him go anywhere until he turned 18. Quote, I didn't talk to her for two weeks, and I didn't go with the band either, unquote. The next few months turned out to be an absolute whirlwind for Miles. During the next month, his girlfriend gave birth to a daughter, Cheryl. Billy Eckstein visited St. Louis with a band that included Art Barkley, Dizzy Gillespie, and Charlie Parker. And word was already out that Miles was one of the best young musicians in town. So when Billy Eckstein's trumpet player became sick, too sick to play while they were on tour in St. Louis, there Miles was, the best trumpet player in town. Thankfully, he was still in town and never went with that band. So Billy Eckstein invited him to join the band. He played with the band for two weeks at Club Riviera in St. Louis. And each night as Miles stood up on the stage getting ready for a show, he felt absolute ecstasy. Before the start of each show, he had this kind of ritual he would hone in on certain things going on in the club. Sometimes, he would pay attention to a couple talking. Maria, ¿qué hoy? Other times, he'd listen to the clanking of dishes. He thought hard about how these sounds interacted with the world. And Miles was about to interact with the world in a whole new way. Social changes were rapidly beginning to grip the nation. The Second World War was coming to a close. Brand new musical genres were emerging through R&B, soul, and hard bop jazz. Former crime guys reporting. War years always bring on new fads and tastes. And the strangest taste around is the excitement generated by the musical noise called jazz. 
This strange music has been accused of everything, including the bad weather and the present decay in morality. Changes were happening all over the place in music. It was certainly getting faster. Just listening to the speed Charlie's playing on this song. He's absolutely dancing around from note to note. Miles could hardly keep up. He loved the challenge. He loved the thrill. He was on stage with his idols, people that he never thought he would develop a friendship with, yet he did. Miles wasn't just a player, he was a thinker. He was 10 steps ahead of every note he played. There were times, sometimes, where he would sync up with everyone else playing. As he stood on the stage playing his heart out, he realized that these were the happiest moments of his life. And it were these moments that also made him realize that nothing could stop him from chasing this weird, new, wonderful music. When he finally turned 18, he passed an audition to study at the Juilliard School of Drama, Dance, and Music. He, of course, passed with flying colors as well. He dropped everything he'd built in St. Louis and moved to the Big Apple. Miles was excited to be living in New York, far away from his family, and much closer to the music. But he wasn't impressed by what was going on at Juilliard. One day, the teacher said the blues grew out of the downtrodden sufferings of the slaves, of slavery, and the, the, the crying and wailing, and all that. And this became the blues of the people in chains, and all that Miles was in the back of the room somewhere. And he raised his hand while she was talking. And, and she said, yes. And he said, you a goddamn liar. Quote, the shit they were talking about was too white for me. Plus, I was more interested in what was happening in the jazz scene. That's the real reason I wanted to come to New York in the first place. I got into the jazz music scene that was happening around Mitten's Playhouse in Harlem and what was going on down on 52nd Street which everybody in music called street. That's what I was really in New York for. To suck up all I could from those scenes. Juilliard was just a smokescreen, a stopover, a pretense I used." Unquote. In a sense, it was his high school experience reliving itself. They say New York is the city that never sleeps. But when Miles was in class at the Juilliard, <laughs> there was a whole lot of snowing going on. Sure, Miles spent his days snoozing time away at the Juilliard, but his nights? He was wide awake. 52nd Street wasn't just a street in the 1940s. As Miles said, it was known as just the street. The street of all streets in the jazz scene. Although, during the light of day, it was just as unimpressive and ordinary as all the other city noise among New York. But just as the darkness of dusk began to fall upon New York and dim the city noise, signals began to become clearer of just what this street really was. Nestled tightly in between easily forgettable architecture, lay brightly lit neon signs of clubs and restaurants that lined the block. Exotic names like Club Soma, The Carousel, Onyx, or Three Deuces were guaranteed to conjure up a bit of curiosity in every human mind curiosity that was amped tenfold when the sounds of this street were heard. 
The musicians inside these clubs were not just playing, they were dreaming out loud. They dreamt out loud until the sun rose, at 6 a.m. sharp, when the neon signs turned off. The dream suddenly vanished, waiting for the sun to go down once again. It's been said that 52nd Street's cramped clubs launched more musicians' 20th century hit songs than anywhere else in the country, including Rush Street in Chicago, Bourbon Street in New Orleans, Beale Street in Memphis, and the Sunset Strip. Miles Davis, of course, would be among those musicians. It wasn't long at all before the dream of 52nd Street engulfed him completely. I see a chapel, the organ play. I'm so excited, so proud. I beg your pardon, I was just dreaming out loud. Miles knew that his father was invested in his career and invested in his schooling at Juilliard, which Miles didn't really want to be a part of anymore. Back on 52nd Street, just outside the Onyx Club, a swarm of people flooded out the doors. Couples and friends laughing, smiling and stumbling into the wee hours. Miles watching and thinking of the sounds each of their expressions reminded him of. He walked into a nearby phone booth and called his father to try and explain himself. Listen, Dad, there's something happening here in New York. The music is changing. The styles. I want in on that. I'm quitting Juilliard. What they're teaching there is white, and I'm not interested in that. Silence definitely wasn't Miles' favorite sound. And that's all that came through on the phone. And it especially bothered him that he couldn't see his father's expression. If he could only see his father's face, it would show him all he needed to know. But after a few more moments of intense silence, his father finally spoke up. So what did he say? Well, it would change what Miles thought about music for the rest of his life. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed the first part of this Miles Davis story. This story is far from over, so stay tuned for part two of the Miles Davis story. And if you've enjoyed the show so far, or even have a recommendation on who you think I should do next, go ahead and leave a review on Apple. It actually helps me move up the ranks of the podcast with the algorithms and all that. Or even share it with a fellow music lover friend or family member. I would be greatly appreciative. 